Welcome to Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. I'm Rob Bombacco. And I'm Rachel Popchek, and we're here to share with you the mental skills you need to help improve your performance and get your head back in the game. We will offer practical applications and diverse perspectives to help you apply these mental skills to your life. Welcome to Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. I'm Rob Bombacco. And I'm Rachel Popchak. We're excited today to be joined by Nate Hanrahan. Uh, Nate is the head coach and GM of the Columbus Mavericks. Uh, Columbus Mavericks play out of the U.S. Premier Hockey League. Uh, prior to coaching and becoming the GM with the Columbus Mavericks, uh, Nate was an assistant coach at Niagara University. Uh, before, after that, coached at, at Robert Morris University, uh, where he spent two years as the assistant coach of the men's NCAA D1 program before being promoted to head coach of the women's Division I team. Nate spent five seasons as the head coach of the RMU women's team before moving on to take on the head coach position of the women's D1 program at Ohio State University, where he coached for another four seasons. During his time coaching at the NCAA D1 level, he played a huge part in recruiting and developing multiple professional players, Olympians, and All-Americans. As far as Nate's playing career, uh, Nate had won multiple championships with the Niagara Falls Canucks of the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League. Uh, he continued his on-ice success at the NCAA D1 level for Niagara University Purple Eagles, where he was again part of building a championship program which culminated in a trip to the NCAA Elite Eight in the 1999-2000 season. Uh, following college, Nate played two seasons of professional hockey in the East Coast Hockey League before returning to coach at Niagara University. Nate, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll kind of jump in here. Uh, so we do um, a lot of of our podcasts obviously are, are focused on, you know, the mental skills, the mental side of sports. Um, I want to start first with just your playing career and, you know, during your playing time, what were some of the kind of mental skills that you felt were, were important uh, during your time playing? Well, uh, you know, I think over, if I think back to, my time and my journey through, you know, AAA hockey into junior hockey into college and then into pro, you know, I think there was this continuing awareness of who I was and what I did well as a player, which yep. are physical skills, but at the same time, there's a, a comfort level in, in knowing what you do well and sticking with that. And I played a particular style and I needed to do those things. And really as time went on, I really started to kind of narrow my uh, focus when I'm preparing for games or what I try and do during play or practice to, to really tailor to that. That gives me the best opportunity to have success as opposed to 
trying to be a skill guy, which I wasn't, um, and and trying to do stuff that was going to endlessly keep me, you know, kind of frustrated. And I don't think I did it consciously, mm-hmm. but I definitely did it, you know, as an evolution, you know, at times you have a frustrating game where you don't play and you, the game gets away from you. Um, and you kind of got to reset a little bit and then figure out how to recover after that. And that process has really helped me as a coach try and impart some of that wisdom to some of my players that I've been fortunate to be, you know, involved with over the last number of years. And, you know, I, I really started to dive into and utilizing imagery to my benefit. Um, we played, you know, as you know, Rob, we played for a, a structure oriented coach in Blaze McDonald at Niagara that you had to know what was going on. You had to know the tactics. And part of that was, his style, but, you know, and looking back in retrospect, it was because we didn't have the talent to run with the horses that maybe we were playing against, you know, you're going to play against, you know, guys that 14 NHL draft picks Uh and we had 14 guys that watched the NHL, you know, and so we had to do whatever it, whatever was necessary to level that playing field. And some of the scheme and tactic was important to that. Uh So I used imagery a lot in trying to see the different things. So I knew I was prepared and what it was that we needed to do. And later on in my college career, I started to kind of let loose a little bit to add my style into what that system was or what coach was asking us to do. Uh So then that way I could, you know, I just, I think that's experience and maturity. So that helped me an awful lot. Yeah. So I think you mentioned a, a number of things there, obviously the, the visualization, which is a, a key skill, but the first couple things you said, which I think are so important, um, one kind of being focused on the things that you have control over it, which we talk a ton about. And like you said, staying in um, and being focused on, on those areas that, you know, you knew were your strengths, right. And, and kind of really, honed in on those things and didn't get too far outside of that, I think gives you, you know, the ability to have a plan day in and day out, whether it's practice or, or competing, you know, in, in games, it's a having that kind of narrow focus and, and the things that taking just ownership and control of those things that you know you can do and that you can control, I think keeps the, the mind in such a a great place it did and quite honestly it started to impact as I became a you know an older more mature athlete it really started to impact how I approach some of the other things you know like you go into a team lift and while the lift might be the same for everyone my approach and my mindset heading into the lift was I've got to build my engine so I can out compete the guys that I'm going up against because that was I was a physical player uh-huh. who had to rely on those skills. And then when I started to have uh, that confidence and knowing that I had an engine that wasn't going to quit, that I could keep going longer than maybe somebody that was uh, maybe more skilled than I was, but I could outcompete them and potentially break some of their will to want to play or compete against me. Yep. It drove how I trained. And then it also drove how I watched film. You know, mm-hmm. how I watched in, in preparation, like, who are the guys that I'm going to really pick on here that right. I can maximize my strengths against? And who are the guys that I need to be aware of that I can't, you know, 
that I, that I can't do the same things against. So right. that really started to impact other auxiliary parts of what it is that I, that I did. Sure. You mentioned before, you know, you said that, I don't know if I, I did this consciously, but it was kind of an evolution. And I think that that is such kind of a key word, um, both kind of on a, on a personal level and also on sort of a, a system level. Um, that, you know, we always are kind of undergoing that evolution, sort of continuing to grow and, and figure out kind of what works for us, what doesn't, things like that. And so I guess I'm kind of curious, maybe more, both on personal side and on, on that kind of system side, but like, just how have you sort of seen kind of that mental side of sports really grow over the years? Well, first of all, I was really fortunate to have some really great coaches that gave me some valuable feedback, um, some tough love at different times that maybe saw more in me than, than I saw. And that kind of precipitated some of that evolution. Um, you know, I think my generation of players was kind of a blending between an old school approach where it was, Hey, we show up at the rink, we hop on the ice and we play, um, from a, a tactical perspective. It, you know, wasn't always there to a newer school approach where more film was involved, more development was involved. And, you know, I think that there's been this shift into, you know, as far as thinking about how players try and develop and how parents seek out opportunities for their kids to develop, it's through, you know, excessive amounts of ice time, camps and clinics and private lessons. And, um, you know, there's some virtue to the idea that, throwing your bag in the, in the garage after the season is done and letting it collect a little bit of dust um, is valuable because that itch that players have to be at the rink and want to be around their teammates and be coached versus players that, you know, they come in in, in September in our sport and they look exhausted. You know, they're, they're, they're good, they're engaged, but they're not as good as they could be. And I feel like, the rest that sometimes is appropriate um, has taken over our game a little bit and, and not allowed for that. And I feel I, I've been involved in it as well on the parent side, because I have, you know, I have kids that play and I see the keeping up with the Joneses type of approach where it's like, well, they're doing a lesson and they're doing these camps. They got six camps and they got eight camps as a college coach. Um, you know what? when we were recruiting kids that were in the eighth and ninth grade, I know that sounds crazy, but over the course of from the ninth grade till their 12th grade year, we'd get endless emails of schedules that were just backed all the way through the summertime of I'm going to this prospect event, this event, this event, this event. And one of my primary questions for them was always, when are you taking the time to develop and when are you taking the time to be a kid? Because we have tired athletes and we have mentally exhausted athletes when, especially with our youth, we start seeing kids start to break down when stress hits and they get even more tired and they don't handle stressful situations that sport inevitably provides us, whether it's referees, the competition, coaching, whatever. They're, they're not, and it's not any of their fault, right? They, they, if they've been in this endless cycle of, constantly playing and I really don't get it because USA hockey makes it very clear on what the calendar should be in our sport. And there's a whole faction of people that are like, yeah, that's nice, but we're just not going to listen. And 
it's a problem. It's a challenge that everyone has. Um, and until rinks shut down like they used to, I was forced to do it in, in, when I was growing up because in the summertime, all of our facilities were community-based rinks. So the summertime running the rink was an excessive cost. So the, rink, the ice came out. So you're forced to go and play baseball or go play soccer or play something else, which gave you that break. But it wasn't because we consciously thought about it. It wasn't until I was much older that started doing more in the summer months to try and gain exposure, or get on a draft list. Or I understand those things, but we're talking about much younger kids that they're just going, going, going. And so I think the, the mental toughness part is relative. I think the rest part is important. And I really think the self-evaluation skills are a huge piece. And the more that we can teach and help young people understand what their skill sets are and what they're good at and what they're naturally inclined and what they enjoy. I think um, there's so much emphasis on different parts of, of sport that get accolades here and there. And it's not all as impactful as maybe it, it, uh, it appears. So I, you hit on so many good things there. Um, and so finding that balance, right? And, and I do think some of it is what you said, that, that parent component and just, you know, this, this kid's doing this or these parents have their kid doing that. And so there's, you know, keeping up um, with what others are doing. I think that is a huge part of it. Um, but like you also said, which I think, you know, how do we kind of figure this part of it out is I, I, I think in a lot of ways, parents are kind of pushed to that with just the, the stuff that, you know, I mean, all of these sports now, like you said, when I was growing up, you know, baseball was a certain time of the year mm -hmm. that stopped hockey, you know, again, kind of had, had its time of the year. Now every sport is all year long. And, 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 you know, um, you know, so I, I guess kind of as a coach and, and as a parent, like, you know, what are some, some of your thoughts on that of, of how do you find that, that balance of giving the kids that, that off time that I agree they so need um, while also, I guess, giving them the opportunities, you sure. know, um, to, to yeah. do the things that they enjoy. It's a really tricky topic and probably one that does, that needs its whole podcast unto itself. Right. Um, because it is a cross sport issue. Um, when I hear of our hockey players that when I coached at the high school level, their football coaches in the fall were non-flexible in any way of having a multi-sport athlete mm -hmm. or lacrosse in the spring. And they were not willing to bend. So families are constantly put into this, this decision-making process of what, what do we pick? I know that we're at the end of the season in playoff mode, but coaches telling me that if I don't, come to practice that I'm going to get cut from the team and they might be a very good lacrosse player, but they're, they have these hard and fast rules because on the other side of it, from a coaching perspective, there's a lot of great, great people that are out there that volunteer their time 
but they're not necessarily equipped with all of the tools they need to be able to handle this. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think, again, thinking that it's a much bigger discussion, but I, I think there needs to be some cross um, promotion through sport and through sport associations to be able to help their coaches understand that we're not going to um, hold the player back or that we're going to, because they're an athlete, you know, we don't define them as a hockey player or a volleyball player or a football player or lacrosse player. They're an athlete. And all of us will benefit from the athlete developing. Um, And when they get to a point where they have to identify a sport because their talents will take them, there's only going to be a handful that can truly do multiple things. Uh There's a really, really small percentage, but when they get to that point, what's the end game. And so that, that probably needs some discussion at a higher level. I think it's education to organizations. Um, I don't know what uh, from your aspect in Pittsburgh, Rob, but coaches are starting to schedule practices into August and that's team practice uh-huh. in hockey where the season and tryout season ends in April, April, May. That's not a ton of time to be off. And the, the reason it's coming is because ice is so expensive. So they're encouraging them to buy more ice and their business element of our game uh-huh takes over in those decisions and, oh, well, if we can get ice, then we might as well start practicing. Right. Um, I think from a helping families understand this is there needs to be more celebrated examples of athletes. And USA Hockey's tried to do this and Hockey Canada's tried to do this of examples of players that would talk favorably about being away from the game. Uh-huh. You know, NHL players at the highest level, they talk about after the season's done, I don't touch my stuff for a month, a month and a half. We, I just get back to training and I get back to doing the things. And then I might layer in some skill stuff. Uh-huh. I don't start skating, skating until about a month before I have to go to training camp. Right. And more stories are told like that and reinforced to our younger groups, to our coaches. And maybe in the hockey world, we have some impact on it. I'd love to see a multi-athletic organization that lives this model uh-huh. and has multiple options. And at the youth level, there's three months, they do this three months and they uh-huh. rotate through sport. And then as they get older, they narrow based on their abilities and what their uh-huh. desires are. But we need a, a couple of financial backers. So if you know anybody, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other couple of things you had said, which I think were, were key, we talk about like the mental skills, mental toughness, all that, right. That maybe are are more aimed at performance, right. So you have these uh, kind of build your mental game. You can perform at a, at a higher level, but you also touched on, which I think is gets kind of lost. Um, There's the mental skill component that translates it maybe into performance, but there's like the emotional health piece um, that is so huge too. And, and that's, you know, again, when we talk to coaches and athletes, th- those are two areas that we, you know, we, we do not leave out that emotional health piece. Cause that is just not if more, more important than, than kind of the, you know, mental game kind of, kind of stuff, that ability to, um, you know, keep a, a strong, healthy mind. And I think a big part of that is, 
like you're talking about getting away from your sport, taking a break, doing, you know, doing some other things that you enjoy doing, um, you know, I think is, is obviously an important, really important part of all this. Yeah. In the, uh, in my time, I always fall victim to it. It's, it seems to happen once a season where, you know, you, you start thinking about your practice planning and how often you're going to practice and we'll set practice to be, you know, Monday through Thursday, you're going to play Friday, Saturday, get Sunday off. And then you're back at it again the next week and there's training involved in it and there's video and there's meetings and there's special teams. There's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it's always amazing to me. And I always get reminded very quickly of how the morale is after multiple days off. And while we might be a little rusty on the ice and not connecting, mood is always high and players are always engaged. They're coming to the rink a little earlier. Uh They're itching to get on the ice. And if you think about game day performance for me, you know, the doesn't mean that we're not trying to develop players, but at the same time, if players go out and execute tactically exactly what we want, but they don't put any emotion into it and they're not involved mentally, they're not engaged competitively. We could have the best system in the, on the planet, but it doesn't matter until, you know, we start to engage that part of the athlete that, that heart and that emotion that every single coach across all sports love kids that are going to go out and just get after it. And they will look over some flaws tactically and skill wise because they bring a competitiveness. They bring a desire to be there. They call them glue guys in the room. They, you want them there. And it's always, always important. I'm always trying to keep my eye on. So I don't, slip into that where we're trying to do too much and it's a tightrope. Sometimes you, you overshoot the mark, sometimes you undershoot the mark and, you know, but trying to keep the athletes engaged mentally and emotionally is, uh, is a, is a big, big part of what coaches need to do. Sure. You mentioned before kind of that idea of, um, you know, being a parent, but of course also being a coach. And I'm just kind of curious, do you approach those two things differently? How do you kind of strike that balance between parent mode versus coach mode? <laughs> Great question. Um, you know, I think having the ability to have coached um, at the NCAA level with men and women has given me a very interesting perspective on this. Um, I'll never forget the very first time I, I coached at Robert Morris in my first year, my second year as men's assistant coach, I took over at the second half of the year as the head coach behind the scenes until the season ended. And we went out and ran a drill during practice. And on the men's practice, we talked, it was a defensive zone drill. And one of the core concepts was our winger was supposed to use the dot as his kind of home base inside of the D zone. So they could use that if the puck's low, goes high, you can you kind of use the dot as, as home base. We start the drill. And our player is all over the place, anywhere but the dot. And we stopped the drill. I'm like, what are you doing? You're like, well, you said it was home base. It's, you know, it is, I don't have to be there, right? Right. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a guide. So fast forward to our women's practice that was later. And we start the drill, same instruction, same direction. And our winger stands on the dot and doesn't move. 
and stays there the whole time, waving her stick around. And I said, what are you doing? So he told me to stay on the dot. And therein lied very quickly. I learned the difference sometimes between a, a female athlete and a male athlete or just how they absorb your instruction. It was the same instruction. And that's helped me a lot with my kids, um, how I approach my daughters. I have three daughters that are all athletes. They're all strong-willed. They're all uh, independent. And I try my very best to be clear with them when I am – putting my coach hat on and when I'm being dad and I have to make a conscious effort for that. Um, where the, there are times that when, you know, they're frustrated with, as an athlete, I'm, I'm in listening mode and I'm just, you know, I need to let them vent and get everything out about frustrations about their teammates, about there have been some times where they'll like cross a line where an antenna goes up and I'm like, I need to address this as a coach right now. So I'll physically tell them, okay, I can put my coach hat on now and you need to hear this. Um, whether it's, you know, just a pattern of thinking, um, you know, whether it's self-sabotage or team sabotage or like those kinds of mindsets that, and then trying to help them get into the mind of their coaches a little bit. Um, I think it's been helpful for them. It's not without its challenges. I can tell you for sure. Um, because they know that they're not going to get off the hook really in any way. <laughs> um, and they'll push that boundaries, but I think I have, you know, my, uh, my oldest, I'm, she's graduating from high school this year and heading off to, to college to play lacrosse. And I feel like she's very well equipped to handle some of the rigors of an elite level lacrosse. She plays club lacrosse plays high school college athletics is just a different level and helping her understand and manage her expectations as she heads into that level where um, sunshine and rainbows is not part of our household. We don't, we try and live in the real world and not necessarily in that, you know, dream world that a lot live in. So uh, that's certainly given me that ability to help them in that regard. So my, my next question, and, and this ties into the, that kind of third thing I said that you already hit on that I thought was important, um, and, and you mentioned self-evaluation, uh, how important that is, and I think that's such a big mental skill um, that a lot of athletes, people, um, for that matter, can struggle with. Um, you know, we teach a lot about that of, you know, learning right that's that's how you become better is is being honest with yourself evaluating yourself um you know not to not to beat yourself up but to kind of learn and grow as an athlete and as a person um so kind of tying that in a little bit are there specific things that you see athletes today kind of struggle with on the the, the mental side of of things any common themes that you see? Yeah, it, you know, I think the like we talked about this that self that self evaluation is a really big piece mm -hmm. because when we have athletes that are we're we're meeting with and talking to, if I'm talking in uh, a one language and they're talking in another, mm -hmm. it's really hard to connect the two. And they're thinking, you know, and this happened to me when I was playing, 
when I went and played professional, you know, obviously we play a college, you move up, you have an ability to, you're playing with better players, your game changes, you have to change or else, you know, you're going to get left on the, the side of the road pretty quickly. Um, and I had to change. I, I went from being a, uh, somebody that played a lot of minutes to not playing a lot of minutes to understanding how and what I needed to do. And that took a little bit of time. And the athletes today, I think the best ones, mm, it, I think it's harder for them today more than ever because when we have all of this skill acquisition, private lessons and camps, it all rolls into that, where the dial gets turned up so much and it's so intense and the schedule is intense, everything's intense. You know, the, the players are left with this idea, like I must be really good. And when they meet any kind of struggle, it gets, it gets hard. And when the direction is coming from, like, I always try and promote for the kids that I advise and I work with, they, this needs to be an autonomous type of process. Like, even though, and I, I, I met with a lot of families that come and I'm like, Hey, I see you every week. We don't need to go on the ice and do a lesson every week uh-huh. while well, he loves it. I said, well, he's eight. Uh-huh. He's eight years old. Uh-huh. He loves being at the rink with you. He loves being involved. And if we don't have that spark, if he's, they go, you guys could go get ice cream. You could go hit golf balls. You could go do anything really. And he would love it. Right. I said, well, what, what, what really needs to happen is this autonomous process where now the kids start to dive into that world of skill acquisition for their own sake. And if they have an understanding of it is, is a really big deal. Uh-huh. Um, so like one of my, one of my Bibles is the talent code by Daniel Coyle. I don't know if you've read it. Um, uh, I'm not much of a reader, but it went down quick and it's just, it kind of leads towards a lot how to acquire skill. Why, why is it important? And if kids are in the right mindset, uh-huh of this deep practice, they can acquire skills much, much quicker than if they're disinterested. So I think that's important. The second thing that I think is important too, um, soft skills. I don't think that our, our, our young kids and it's the world we live in, they're behind a screen. We're behind a screen right now. Um, they're behind, you know, autonomous messaging or anonymous messaging. They're, they're always behind a screen. So those soft skills of learning how to read your teammates or how to read coaches or how to understand what's happening in the room, they don't necessarily pick up on that the same way that you and I might have a a while ago. You're like, man, coach is really upset. And you have to do something like so over the top to illustrate that you're upset Uh that they don't pick up on the some more subtle cues that are out there as well. And then it just kind of, snowballs in a couple different directions and then yeah. self-evaluations off efforts off attitudes everything kind right. of goes really sure yeah just uh one thing i want to kind of uh, again that you, you mentioned with the skill acquisition stuff and i and, and maybe not at, at eight or whatever but like you know 12 or so like i feel like there are those kids kids and I've seen those kids and coach those kids where you know yeah they'll they'll be at home and 
shooting the puck outside or, you know, doing their stuff kind of just because they want to, because they really enjoy it. Um, and some that, that wouldn't be a thought in their mind to go, go do right. that. And, and I think <laughs> neither one necessarily is, is good or bad. And just, and I'm sure you could speak to this too, like, you know, age development and, and, you know, that over time, that person that, you know, maybe not as interested in going to do that outside, you know, two years from now does kind of pick up that, that interest. And, um, you know, I think each person kind of moves at their own pace and to force the issue, um, you know, I think can, again, kind of lead to disinterest in the sport or not having fun with it and, you sure. know, going well, backwards. a lot of my thoughts and ideas about this come from practical stuff that I see with players across a wide section of ages and levels. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've used my own kids as kind of a, a, a an experiment, so to speak. Mm -hmm. My oldest daughter was a hockey player and a lacrosse player at the same time. Mm -hmm. And as they're getting to that point that you're talking about where there's a, you know, maybe a decision as to how much we do versus another right. thing or when do you keep pushing and encouraging? And I asked her, um, you know, when we'd come home from hockey, she was a pretty good hockey player. And huh? you know, the opportunities in Columbus aren't necessarily as robust as they are in Pittsburgh for, for young girls. But I, you know, asked her, she asked, how, how can I get better? And I'm like, well, we have a slide board in the garage. You can get on that. We have, you know, there's a net out there. You can shoot pucks. You can stick handle. You can do lots of stuff. Gave her the instruction, gave her what she needed to do. Didn't really do much. Uh -huh. As soon as she picked up a lacrosse stick, you know, I'm like, what can I do to get better? I'm like, well, I'll get you a bag of lacrosse balls. And, you, and she's out there all the time. Uh -huh. And that kind of led me more towards that. Okay. She's picking up a lacrosse stick more and she's picking up a hockey stick. We need to try and foster this. She loves playing. She loves hockey, but lacrosse was something that just kind of made, made sense to her. Yeah. Yeah. I think the I, same experience with, with, with my son and, and tell that story a lot of, you know, he enjoyed hockey, wouldn't complain about going, but would ask me every day to go throw the baseball around. Right. Right. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's a, that's a big deal um, because they're kind of choosing, they're wanting to do it. That's not coming from, you know, a parent, you know, kind of making them or pushing them to do that. It's, it's because they enjoy it. And I think that's such a big component. I, I agree. Yeah. I think when it's, you know, for allowing young athletes the space to be able to make that decision and power right. them, I think is great. Um, the driving of incessant practice and skills, and we're going to go do this. Come on, we're going outside. You know, the connection point um, between a parent and a, and a kid is great. Yeah. And sometimes it gets wrapped up in that skill part or what the future might lead. And, you know, I was just talking with my assistant coaches about the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO. And I'm like, this is a super dangerous documentary uh -huh. because – he ended up being the greatest golfer of all time. And I feel like his father was psychotic and mm -hmm. there's a lot of families. They'll be like, 
Yeah, well, that's not going to happen to us, but we're going to do all the same stuff. And I, I worry about that sometimes and, um, and how much and how little and what the person, you know, I want, want my kids and I want anyone that I have an opportunity to be around to be very well balanced and feel like they have a life in front of them that they, they want to have. Right. And sport plays a role in that, teaches you lots of lessons, but it's a, um, you know, it's a, there's a bigger picture. And we did a, a podcast on, on that documentary because the same thing, like obviously the success can't be denied, but you know, we were kind of asking that question at what cost. Um, and yeah. there was a specific moment in that documentary of, of Tiger or somebody associated with him talking about how he picked up scuba diving or something because the fishes didn't know who he was or the fish didn't know who he was right that's I think a, a huge statement there <laughs> you know of, of the pressure and everything he was under well i think it's a, an interesting comparison too uh, walter gretzky just passed away that they talked about how you know walter gretzky doesn't freeze over his backyard to make a backyard rink we don't have the greatest player that ever played uh-huh. and that makes it, uh, you know, two very different comparisons on how you can go about it. And that doesn't mean that maybe he wasn't as intense with with Wayne as Errol was with Tiger. Who knows? But oh. I can say that looking at the end result, they both ended up being the greatest of all time. And one is very well adjusted and the other one is had a little bit of a rocky path. Right. So, I mean, we're talking a lot about kind of, you know, the, the mental skills, but also sort of the struggles and the maybe even obstacles that we kind of face um, in really being able to, to utilize those mental skills sometimes too. And so I'm curious, kind of what are some of the things that, that you look for as a coach when you're evaluating a, a player's mental game? Well, the, the interview process and discussions are, you know, really important more so than what they're actually doing on the ice. They obviously have to have some hockey ability in order for us to be interested in them. Um, but I think the having a the compete level is so important and a drive to want to compete and looking for opportunities to compete within the confines of the game. Um I think those are that's important. That um, the self evaluation we talked about earlier is important as well. I, I think that clutch performers are another part of that. That when the game gets big, we want players that can play and want to elevate as opposed to shrink. So I think there's a combination of things that are inside of there, and some players bring to the table different strengths in those areas. Um, Leadership is always a very interesting topic because, you know, I don't believe that leaders are just born. I think that you they're made over time and their relative experiences. So I think that's a an important piece, but not everyone's inclined to be a leader either. It's how well do they follow? And there's a some of that component. We can't have a locker room full of captains. We need a few captains and everyone else has to fall in line and, and be a part of that. And um, you know, the, all of that leads towards, to me, to that clutch, being able to be a clutch performer. Um, it doesn't seem to me like clutch performers are typically players that coaches avoid because they're bad in the locker room. Um, 
but the performers tend to be those guys that everyone relies on inside the room, including the coaches, players alike. Um, when we were recruiting younger athletes, we would ask a pretty simple question to decide whether we were going to proceed in a short-term manner or we're going to let it play out and see them evolve. And the, it was a really simple question. And, and in, usually in a very casual conversation, we would ask, tell me about what, each, what your day is like. And the athletes that could rattle off, I wake up, I get them breakfast, I head to school, I usually cram out some homework on, on study break if I can, head to practice, not practice for a little, they can rhyme off their schedule pretty easily. And then the others that would look at, you know, mom or dad, or they'd be like, I don't know. The athlete that has a plan typically is inclined to develop and improve um, over the course of time. Um, the one that doesn't, doesn't mean they're not going to. It just means that it may take a little bit longer because they haven't quite figured out their recipe just yet. Um, at the level that I'm currently coaching at, we get a lot of players that are in a growth phase. They're trying to develop their game. And part of these skills we're acquiring, we're trying to help them acquire. So they might show some, some of that inclination and a desire to improve and be coached. Um, and I think it all blends into one big pot together sometimes because one impacts the other, impacts the other, impacts the other. And we really are just trying to get the water moving in a river-like direction as opposed to a flood over the banks and, and help them get to their best version of themselves. Well, I think we, uh, this was one of our longer interviews and I think there's a reason for that. I mean, so, so much good information. I could probably talk another hour about all these different, <laughs> different topics, but um, this was awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. Um, and you're, I, I posted it on the Facebook um, little promotion thing, but the website for the Columbus Mavericks is, is what again? ColumbusMavericks.com. Okay. Yep. Awesome. And when does the season typically gets going in September? Yeah, we'll start off in September. Yeah. You know, training camp will start. We'll have uh, some prospect events and, um, some younger kids prospect events over the course of the summer. And, but outside of that, it gets, gets going in September. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, again, some, some really great info you gave us today. Thanks Rob. Thanks Rachel. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. Please make sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss the mental skills you need to get your mind back in the game and perform at your best.